brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. It's the beginning of a new and exciting different story. This is Matthew. This is Ronnie Denafro Couture. Hey, this is Tim Sylvia Maniac. This is Chuck Geiser. This is Alex Overin. Hey, what's up? This is Rico Rodriguez. Hi, this is George St. Pierre, and you're listening to TJ DeSantis. Hey, guys, this is Boyce Grace. You're listening to Pete Dow of Sherdog Radio Network. You're listening to the Beat Down. Beatdown on Sherdog Radio Network. Here's your host, TJ DeSantis. Hey, everybody, it's Beatdown on the Sherdog Radio Network. I'm TJ DeSantis on this fine Friday edition of your favorite mixed martial arts related podcast, the final uh, offering of 2017 here in the SRN. Um, Today, an exciting show, I think. I'm joined by my Invicta FC commentating partner, Julie Kedzie, as we get ready for UFC 219 tomorrow night. Chris Cyborg, the former Invicta FC featherweight champion, now UFC featherweight queen, defends her title for the first time against the Preacher's daughter. Holly Holm, the former UFC bantamweight champion. Uh, It's an exciting fight for a variety of reasons. I break down some of those reasons with Julie Kedzie on this podcast. If you're looking for more uh, technical analysis, picks, etc., well, you got to check out the roundtable. You know where that's at, right? Between Rounds. It's patreon.com forward slash between rounds. Myself, Jeff Sherwood, Jordan Breen, and Luca Fury break down the card that emanates from T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada tomorrow night. I will tease you. One panelist, one, thinks that Holly Holm will get it done. Who? That's for you to find out. Between Rounds Radio has the round table. Also, Between Rounds, we'll have Beatdown After the Bell for you. Uh, we'll stream live on SureDog.com tomorrow night, but uh, archived uh, version for you at Patreon.com forward slash Between Rounds. I will be live uh, taking your calls, uh, emails, tweets, etc. Uh, Beatdown After the Bell exclusively at Patreon.com. All right, without further ado, Julie Kedzie. Uh, former teammate of Holly Holm and former matchmaker for Chris Cyborg and Invicta Fighting Championships. She joins me now. You're listening to Beatdown. This is the Sherdog Radio Network. 
Have a happy new year, everybody. Fedor Emilio is a beast. It's Fedor Emilianenko. Emilio. No, Emilianenko. Fedor Emilio. This is the beatdown. Right. We'll be right back. Joining me now is Julie Kedzie. Uh, I, I hate to say pioneer. I don't want to say pioneer, but you were instrumental in yeah, the growth. You were <laughs> instrumental in the growth of women's mixed martial arts. Only part of the old guard. How's that sound? How, how about a mainstay in women's mixed martial arts? No? Uh, you could say maybe perennial, not even perennial contender because I wasn't always a contender. Uh, journeyman? Journeyman. Oh, man. I would, rather, I, would ra- uh, I would rather be called a pioneer than a journeyman, personally. No, because everybody's a pioneer now. Like, now Gabby Garcia is a pioneer of Japanese MMA. Or what, I saw something written about her. I was just like, ah, she's a pioneer of maybe starting a new weight class, but I don't think, you know. All right, I got it. I got it. I got it. How about an influential person in women's mixed martial arts. I like that. Perfect. Julie Kedson. I like that. You can, you can <laughs> find her uh, cage side with me at Invicta Fighting Championships. But today I want to talk about uh, the obvious super fight that goes down tomorrow night in Las Vegas. It is the UFC featherweight champion Chris Cyborg taking on Holly Holm, um, the former UFC bantamweight champion. You have relationships with both of these uh, women, you were the matchmaker at Invicta FC when Cyborg was the the featherweight champion there. You trained and uh, you know ha- have a special bond with Holly Holm. Uh, you know with your time in in Albuquerque. Uh, I, I want to first start with a little bit of background though on on Chris Cyborg when she was the Invicta FC featherweight champion and you were the matchmaker. How much interaction did you actually have with Chris? Um, you know, honestly, as, as you well know with, with Invicta, because people wear a whole bunch of different hats, I wasn't always the primary person her manager talked to. Right. And in fact, you know, and I don't, like, I, of course, I'm under an NDA when it comes to matchmaking and all these other things. So, right, right. Um, you know, um, but I, I would say that she was not my primary. I was, I don't think I was her point of contact for, for very much. I spoke to her manager about, like, several things, like, you know, the banner or something like that. But um, in terms of how that went down, um Shannon is highly hands-on with every part of her organization, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to her. She just, you know, she just knows so much about the game, and I think that they already had a previous relationship, like working relationship from Strike right. back in the days. So I, I think that they mostly, you know, most of that went on within kind of a, a group setting, if that makes any sense. Sure. I, I'm just more curious. Did you? I mean, when you're around someone, often. You, you develop a, a rapport a little bit. Did you ever, I mean, did you ever share a meal with Chris? Did you ever talk to Chris, like, I casually? Was, so I, I was around for, um, when I was matching, and I don't know if this policy is still in place, but I was super strict about making weight, which, you know, looking back, I'm just kind of wondering if that probably wasn't the best approach. But I was, I was all about them telling me their weights every day, coming in, weighing in in front of me every day for fight week you know, reporting to me and stuff like that. And and I would stay in the weight room all night the mm-hmm. night before weigh-ins because I know there's some people, from my experience anyway, I like suddenly had to check my weight at 3 a.m. because I couldn't sleep, you know, because I was neurotic. And I was like, I'm sure there's some people who have shared that experience. So in terms of that, there was kind of an open, um, there was kind of an open door policy when I was, I would monitor the weight room uh, the night before weigh-ins. And so I, I interacted with Chris in terms of her coming in and checking her weight during those times. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, you know, like she's such a warrior. Like I, I swear to God, like I mean, we we've all seen that video that she put out about you know cutting weight back in the day. It just looks horrific and stuff like that. And she was trying to get down to 140, I think. Yep. But I mean, she, I, you know, I have to say, I've never seen somebody 
I don't, I don't know. Just she's very, very dedicated to making weight. So I, I, those interactions with her, I can't, you know, like I'm sure it would be hard for her to pick me out of a crowd in terms of people because, you know, she's so kind of superstar now. But, you know, those interactions with her, I always found her even in the, the height of cutting and, and how horrible and difficult that is for a fighter. You know, she was never impolite, never, you know, like just she was a professional. She was doing her job. And I've always found her to be a very warm, nice person. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. I'm sure Cyborg can can pick you out of a crowd without <laughs> a, an issue. Um, I, I, the reason I ask is because very few people um, are in the situation that you have been in with both of these women where you, you are on top of Chris to make sure that she's getting ready for her fight for Invicta. You've helped Holly get ready for fights in the past and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. You you have a very interesting uh, sort of position when this fight goes down, having uh, you know relationships with both of these these women much more than the average person. What does this fight mean for you on Saturday at UFC 219? Someone that was there, you know, largely at the beginning, you know, fighting Gina Carano in, in the the first ever real big women's mixed martial arts fight. What does this fight say for the history uh, of women's MMA, Julie? Because I honestly believe that Holly Holm and Chris Cyborg, while they're fighting for the UFC's 145 pound title, in a lot of ways they may be fighting for the top prize of maybe most accomplished woman in, in mixed martial arts, maybe you can argue uh, most accomplished woman in combat sports. Um, yeah, I, I think that you could argue both of those things. I think actually it's maybe not a question of what this does uh, for the past, which it does quite a bit for the past, but also what it does for the future. And I mean that, you know, we, we look at the 145-pound weight class in the UFC, and there's not very many people in that. Um, it, it's kind of a handful of fighters. And, of course, Holly's a national 135-er, so she's actually going up in weight for this. Right. But I would say in many ways you can see this as who is going to crown the best fighter in the world, you know, I guess at, at the weight class that was sort of, I don't know, it was like kind of that middle ground. Most of the fights happened when I started. Most most fights were at 135 when I first started. Mm-hmm. And then everything shifted around, and, you know, other weight classes have gotten bigger and more popular, and people have gotten smarter with cutting and stuff. But, you know, 135 to 145, certainly, especially with, you know, Chris and, and Gina fighting each other back the day for the strike force title that has definitely been this weight class that has had attention whether or not it's had maybe as much depth you know in, in terms of contenders is another question but i think it says something possibly for the future of you don't have to be small <laughs> to be to be popular to, mm. to get that i i don't know to you know to, to have eyes on you right. um, to to accomplish something in this sport there is actually there's the potential for a lot of fighters who maybe 135 was too hard of a cut they can be more comfortable at a bigger weight class and understand that there's there's it, there's not a ceiling on that now that there's there's potential to to test yourself to the you know on the highest stage possible you just have to work your way up to it certainly and i think you know in terms of justifying the past uh well, God, you know, like, God, I, I, I love Holly. Like, I would I'd give her the shirt off my back. I would do anything, anything for Holly Holmes. Um, and so, you know, to see, I guess, her progress and to see, you know, she had that beautiful fight against Rousey, and then, you know, she had a little bit of a plateau for a while, and now it's kind of that, this is another ascent for her. And for me, you know, it just kind of justifies what I believed in the past about her, is that she can do anything. Um, and, and in terms of what it does for Chris Cyborg, it's just like, finally, she's getting... <laughs> You know, the respect that she has really kind of deserved for a very long time. 
Certainly. You know, and it's, I mean, it's not that she didn't get that from other organizations, but the UFC is the preeminent organization in the world. Like, I think that's undisputable. Yeah. Undisputable, sorry? Are you indisputable? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I said you were. Either way, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you can be the most accomplished mixed martial artist in the world, but if you fail to ever fight in the octagon, your star doesn't burn as bright. Um, you know, Fedor Emelianenko, he, he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. He still probably mm-hmm. won't get the, the recognition that he deserves from, from a casual mainstream audience here uh, in the United States. And it's unfortunate. It is, it is nice to see Chris Cyborg get what, you know, she ultimately deserves. Um, mm-hmm. You have – And really – Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, really, I, I can't think of another mixed martial artist who's had – so much crap piled on her yeah. too, and it's not that she wasn't without her mistakes, right? Sure, sure. Like we can all acknowledge that, but I mean, just the, the I don't know. People take shots at her that are really unmerited at times, and it's I don't know. There's some sort of weird vindication in seeing her headlining this fight. I mean, she's headlined other fights, of course, but seeing her headlining this fight, having right. all eyes on her, I, I don't know. I just it's kind of. Uh, it's reassuring in the weirdest of ways. I don't know how to explain it. But yeah. Well, I, I get it. I mean, vindication and redemption is uh, storylines. They're storylines that, that American fans of, of entertainment or sports fans in general uh, gravitate towards. And Chris Cyborg mm-hmm. has been allowed to vindicate herself. She's uh, redeemed some of her mistakes through her martial arts and, and her talents. And, uh, you know, when, when she got the the belt wrapped around her waist in July when she defeated Tanya Evinger, you could tell that that was mm-hmm. a decade plus of work coming to a climax for her. And uh, on Saturday night, she looks to continue uh, that story by defending it for the first time. I've had the luxury of sitting cage side with you calling a cyborg fight. And mm-hmm. I- I've watched her fight on television for years. It looks brutal. It looks violent. It looks vicious. It's beautiful in the most primal uh, ways, but you mm-hmm. don't understand how hard Chris Cyborg hits until you're there 10 feet away from her. And can, can you describe what it's like when you see Cyborg fight in person? Because a lot of people say, oh, you know, she she's brutal and vicious and violent. But I, I really think that the, the words, the, the adjectives used there undersell it in a, in a lot of ways because when I saw her hit Daria Bragimova with you, it, it was was just – it makes you feel a certain way. There aren't many fighters that hit people that make you feel a certain way. When Chris Cyborg hits people, it, it's, it's this feeling of grotesque enjoyment. I almost get upset with myself that I find – um, joy in watching her compete because it is primal and vicious and violent, but it is so in the most beautiful of ways. Oh, absolutely. I think that you put that well. And honestly, because it has that visceral effect on us, I don't think you should ever feel embarrassed by that because this is a controlled setting with two willing participants, especially in the UFC. Right. They're medical, you know, they, they've been checked. Everything about this is as sanctioned as it can be. These are two very willing participants. And these are two people, you know, whoever fights her, they're willing to fight her. And um, they've been cleared to be a worthy opponent of her. And I think that that's an important thing to understand, too. Nobody fights Chris Cyborg thinking they're going to lose. Right. And nor should they. Because if you think that, then you've already lost. You go in there knowing that you're testing yourself against the best. And I think that 
if you want to describe how Chris Cyborg fights, I'm just like, this is the way MMA should be. This is aspirational. This is, this is what we want from ourselves, is the way Chris Cyborg fights. You know, and I'm saying this in such a way that is really skewing me towards her, but of course I've called her fights before. I've felt what you felt. I've seen that. I think one of my sound bites is, well, that was terrifying. And it right. Was. But it's yeah. a good kind of terrifying. It's what we're seeking. And I think it's, it's foolish of us to avoid words like violence. And it's foolish of us to avoid words like, you know, you feel good about it or to, or to reject feeling good about seeing this. Because there's times when it's unfair. And I totally agree with that. It's, there's a mismatch when something's gone awry. And God knows, you know, having been in the matchmaker position, that's even like for me, there's, there's so much comes with that. There's so much, you know, you feel guilt, you feel responsibility, you feel all of this if something is an obvious mismatch. But with Chris Cyborg, she really... The, what's beautiful about her and the way that she fights is it also gives you the opportunity to think somebody's going to beat her someday. You know, something's going to happen. And that could be me as the opponent. That could be the person standing right in front of her. And that's um, incredibly inspiring to see somebody with that sort of mastery over this sport whose trajectory still seems to be rising. And yet um, she's someday somebody's going to know, you know, emperor wears their crown forever. And I really do believe that Holly Holm has a very good chance of being that person to dethrone her. And so um, it, it's just, for me, it's inspiring to watch her. Um, that, that pain or whatever you're feeling, that visceral reaction you have when watching that sort of violence unfold, it, I don't know, to me it seems a hell of a lot safer than watching people shoot each other. Like, it's the same sort of human right. desire for violence, desire for expression. But when we're seeing it between voluntary participants who are not even voluntary, they're paid participants. Like right. This is their profession. These are prize fighters. Then I think we should allow ourselves that very human reaction to, if you want to cower from it, cower from it, or if you want to feel completely, you know, if you just want to enjoy it, let yourself enjoy it. Yeah. Like don't, I, that's, I, that's, that's kind of how I feel. That's a very roundabout way of answering your question. Well, what, what I think you're saying, too, is, is again, they are both willing participants. I mean, you can look at someone like Faith Van Duen, who uh, Cyborg beat in Invicta, and, and Van Duen was, was out of the fight very quickly, but she called out Cyborg. She, she mm-hmm. willingly uh, sought uh, a, a fight with Chris Cyborg and every woman, while they may be defeated quickly uh, in the past mm-hmm. with Cyborg, they do go in there believing that they can pull off the upset. Now, Cyborg hasn't been this low of a favorite since she's shown up on the scene. She's about a three to one favorite against Holly Holm. But when you look at the path to victory for Holly, I think it's clear. I think there is a clear cut path for her to win this fight. You can't say that for a lot of other opponents that Cyborg has faced. And with all the uh, words that I use to describe Cyborg's uh, style uh, of fighting, I use opposite words to describe the style of fighting that Holly Holm brings to the cage. She is technically sound. She is beautiful with her form. She's strategic. She's uh, I mean, she's accomplished. She's very, very accomplished, not only in mixed martial arts, but obviously in boxing and kickboxing. And there's that old saying, it's a baseball saying, um, but but I think it applies here in fighting from time to time. Uh, the quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line. Chris Cyborg, she loops all of her punches. She has that old shoot box style. Holly Holm, 
comes from a boxing background, has trained with Mike Winklejohn, and her form is, is near flawless and perfect. And the only real misstep, if you want to call it that, of Holly Holmes' career, but besides, you know, having a, a very tough fight um, with, with, with Misha Tate and, and, you know, winning a lot of that fight, but then getting stopped on the floor, um, she is a counter striker. And when she fights a, a, another fighter that doesn't engage, from time to time, those fights appear to be boring or she narrowly will take a, a, a decision. If Cyborg approaches Holly Holm the way that Cyborg has approached everybody, that could play so perfectly into Holly's hands that it's her that has her hand raised at the end of the night. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely it could. And I, I, I know that Holly's coaches are probably – but, well, I don't. I don't know what they're game planning for her. I don't really talk. To, <laughs> I'm not in the scene anymore when it comes to coaching game plans and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Of course, they're going to be thinking about that. I'm sure Cyborg's coaches. She's got incredible coaches as well. Are thinking the same thing. They're finding. You know, they're like, okay, you know, maybe it's you need to draw out the counter striking and counter the counter, which is a really good plan too. Or could also end up being incredibly boring looking, just depending on how the fight plays out. You know, like we saw a little bit in the Betch Cohea. Just the countering, the countering, the countering to the point that everyone was like, ah! And then Holly, you know, she found her opening and she she exploited it. Um, but um, yeah, no, I I think that there's something with the straight lines and the curves. I think you're very right about that. It is interesting to see what adjustments Cyborg has made because I believe she said in an interview you might see a completely new Chris Cyborg. And again, who knows? You know, there's all these strategic things you can do with your talk to throw people off things. Um, but I do know that. Holly is insanely disciplined when it comes to a game plan or it comes to an attack. Um, and, and, you know, those, those kinds of, it's going to be interesting to see if she's forced to make adjustments to whatever game plan was in mind, or if cyborg, because, you know, she has that overwhelming style. If she doesn't bring that right away, or if she's, if she's waiting to exploit that for a certain moment in the fight, what happens to that buildup? What's going to happen along the way in that fight to, like have her explode if she's chosen not to explode right away or if she does choose to fight you know in the cyborg coming in your face and just swarming you and um it's like it's like what three four big punches and then a kick and then a body shot and then three right it's just over and over and over again it's not you can't even get a rhythm out of it exactly but it's so like just watching it's just like oh wow there's the body shot there's the headshot there's the body shot there's a headshot oh there's the throw although she's rarely had an opportunity to throw people very often um, but, you know, usually because her punches are so strong and sound. Um, but, yeah, I think there's an interesting um, – I think there's a really interesting storyline in the strategy of this fight. Right. And part of me is kicking myself for not being at Jackson's right now and trying to find out what the strategy is. But I think that I'm, – I'm a fan now. I'm not, I'm not a fighter. I'm not in the inside circle. So I get to kind of see this as an analyst and a fan and, and just see what I think might happen and then see what actually does happen because – so often we as analysts and fans are completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't like predictions. <laughs> I don't, I'm just like, there's, there's no point in making predictions. You either, you'll be um, misattributed as a genius for knowing something that you just guessed about, or people will think you don't know anything because you got it wrong because you're just guessing. You know, this is, so. this, this is a fight, Julie, where like no matter what the outcome is, I feel like we're going to be going, <laughs> of course that was what was going to happen like it's going to seem so evident in the end because literally either of these ladies winning in the fashion that they most likely will will make sense i mean i can even argue that a chris cyborg submission could be somewhat likely it's probably not super likely but if cyborg took holly home down and you know 
hit her a couple times from the mount and she turned over and Chris was able to frame up a rear naked choke, that wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. That said, if Cyborg got really aggressive and got countered and knocked out by a Holly Holm uh, quick counterpunch, that doesn't surprise me either. Like, this, this is what is so exciting. Literally anything is possible. And you mm-hmm. can't say that with most of Cyborg's last fights. No, I mean, I think we, I mean, you know, it's just like of, of people who I thought had the potential, and I still think she does have the potential to beat Cyborg, I think Tanya Evinger is high on that list. But sure. it was also kind of not that long of a game plan for that fight not that long of a training like lead up to that fight which is not an excuse it's just simple like a fact you know she didn't have quite the preparatory time one would think and so um i don't know how long this fight has been on the books um i spoke with holly i saw her i think last i think it was september or october she was doing something at israel martinez school in chicago and we got to hang out and chat and it was just like i cried my eyes out because i mean that's my sister like it's so crazy to see them up there on TV fighting. And then when you see these people in person that you've bled and cried and, and, you know, like all of these things with and shared your hopes and dreams with, and then you see them in person, it's like, oh yeah, that's a person. And that's, that's what we always kind of forget about with fighters, isn't it? They, they're a product to us yeah. when they're on the television. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, we forget that they're people. We forget that Chris Cyborg has just this like, you know, just this incredible compassion for children. Right. She does all this charity work, and so does Holly. And it's just like we forget those things because we want them to be these brutal, you know, um, not animals necessarily, but these brutal machines almost uh, on screen for us. You know, we want it to be a computer game, and it's not. Right. Nobody's ever going to not be human in there. Well, um, uh, I, I think th- I think that story is almost evident a little bit when you look at their nicknames. Like Chris Cyborg, she's not actually a cyborg. Okay. But Holly Holm, right. she actually is a preacher's daughter, and she is. You know, we, and we, so much more. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we we just sort of subscribe to the narrative, but think that it's almost not not pro wrestling. That's not the word. That's not what I'm trying to say. But but you you kind of subscribe to the fact that they're characters more than people. Sometimes I, I think fa- yeah. fans do. That makes money. That's good, and it's easy marketing. Um, and I don't, I don't begrudge people, you know, trying to exploit that with with marketing or with with selling themselves. I think you should sell yourself as much as you can as a fighter. Something I was very, very bad at. Um, but um, uh, I, I had to, how do I explain? It? It's just I guess, I guess it, it's still never going to not blow my mind that people get very angry at fighters for not doing what they want them to do right. while they're sitting at home <laughs> watching something. And it's like, they're not, they're in a moment where, you know, yeah, you think about the fans, maybe you don't think about the fans. I actually have, I, I interviewed Holly on this radio project that I did and she's just like, I, you don't really hear the crowd. Like, they're there, but it's just you and the fighter. Like, it's you and your opponent. That's what you're that's where your focus is. That's where your concentration is. And, you know, whether they're booing you or they're cheering you, it's nice. But really, you're, I mean, if you're doing things right, you're entirely focused on, on the task in front of you. And as people who watch this sport, when we demand them to be entertaining, when we demand them to, to be a different level of things, it's, the demands we're placing on them are really more of showing that we're the product. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a Lacanian. I mean, right? they're fighting, and then when we get upset about somebody's fight, it's more of holding a mirror up to how we feel about fighting instead of how they're fighting because they're fighting the way that they're fighting. 
if that makes any sense. Like right. they're in this cage, they're doing what they're doing in that moment. They're responding to what's attacking them. They're responding. They're doing what their training has shown. And some days it's a good day and some days it's a bad day. Um, but it is a job. And when we watch it and we make demands on them, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to me. I'm getting this whole new perspective on all that. I'm really just trying to take a step back and think of what does it say about us as fans? Um, when we get, emotionally upset right. the way somebody else does their job. Right. I mean, you should, I mean, I, I think, I think an old football coach said you play to win the game. You should fight to win the fight, whether that is entertaining mm-hmm. or not is, I mean, entertainment largely to me is a byproduct of fighting. Um, you, mm-hmm. you should be fighting to prove that you're the better fighter, the better martial artist. And if people are entertained by it, then uh, that's great. But if they're not, you need to ensure the fact that you're the better fighter on that evening so um mm-hmm. and, and yeah, fan, I mean, we're asking them yes yeah, i was just gonna say if fans get too upset about a fighter not fighting the way that they want them to they can go by the video game and fight uh however they want to with that fighter themselves well see that's the problem is if they want fighters to fight they the way they want them to then they want fixed fights right yeah that's true. the element of, of suspense is gone like the, the element if you want something to have a predictable ending then go rent a movie like don't don't watch something that's happening live that's entirely dependent on how somebody's feeling, how hard they've trained, and just the chaos of the moment. Any sort of thing can happen, like on your way to the cage. Any sort of thing, and it's just like, and that's what the entertainment is: is that unknowability. That's what makes fighting really special. But it's also what makes fighting, unfortunately, not always what we want it to be. Which I think makes it better. It makes it more true to the human drama. Life isn't just. You do what you do, and then you end up where you wanted to end up. It's never that way. Everything is curveballs. Everything is chaos. Right. And so fighting really is a, a kind of, I don't know, it, it shows us what we want and what we don't want. And um, I don't know. It's, I guess I went off on Twitter like the other day, but why don't we just enjoy these two people who have just pushed through so many insurmountable odds like and overcome so much? Certainly. <laughs> and watch them fight and just yeah. enjoy that we're watching a really good well-made fight right you know? two two human beings that are literally human weapons are locked with uh within a cage with one another and they fight that that that's good enough for me honestly uh everything mm-hmm. else everything else uh whatever happens happens and uh, i think that's why uh i'm such a big fan of the sport you know i, I appreciate the journey i appreciate the end result and uh it's exciting, and another chapter of that is written uh, tomorrow night, UFC 219, the main event. Chris Cyborg defending her UFC featherweight crown against Holly Holm. Julie Kedzie, I appreciate your time. Uh, you and I will be back in Kansas City coming up here on January 13th uh, as Sarah Kaufman returns to the Invicta FC cage to take on Panicky and Zod. Uh, I'm excited for the first offering from uh, Invicta FC to start 2018. Like that, that, That's a huge card. It's a huge main event from top to bottom. We're going to have some more fun in Kansas City. Yeah, I'm really excited about that matchup too. That one had never occurred to me. Uh, Kaufman versus Kianzad. Like I'm like that's some, that's sharp because we're seeing two people who kind of are each other's, like can exploit each other's weaknesses. So oh that's, yeah, that's exciting. No, super exciting. Yeah. Julie, we'll see you in Kansas City in January. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks for the time. Thank you. Beat down is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of the Sure Dog Radio Network. Its content is intended for private use only. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.